You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington, and we have services meeting each week at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can also join us online live at our 11 a.m. service each Sunday. If you'd like to know more about Axe Church Northwest, you can go to axechurchnw.org. Now enjoy the sermon. I've got two stories this morning about gas. Don't worry, Mom, it's the fuel kind, not the other kind. My mom's always concerned. She always told me growing up, we don't talk about smells. That's not something we talk about. So just so you know, that's what my mom says. I want you to imagine a beautiful, warm January day. And it's warm because you're in Orlando, Florida, not the Northwest, where it's usually not warm in January. You've got yourself a nice 18-foot fishing boat. And you like fishing because you don't think it's the most boring thing ever that even when it goes well, what you end up with is a gross fish, which is what I think. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I like the fish. But if I'm going to sit for hours to try to catch something to eat, it's going to be a cow, not a fish. But I'm just telling you. <laughs> Either way, you've got your boat, you've got your fishing gear, and you head out to the water. But before you can go out to the water, you've got to fill that boat up with gas. So you pull up to the gas station, to the pump, and you pull out the nozzle thing, you stick it in there and you start pumping and you're just thinking about your day and what's gonna happen and so on. 30 gallons later, you think, well, that's a lot of gallons of gas. I don't remember the boat taking that much, but whatever, you're just thinking about fishing, you turn it off and you start to smell something. You realize that what you've done is you've put the nozzle into a fishing pole holder instead of into the gas tank and you filled the cockpit of your boat with 30 gallons of gas. This happened this January in Orlando, it was not me. Some other dude um, fills his boat with gas. Fire department had to come out and siphon it all. It was a mess. It's a mess. I'm sure it ruined his day of fishing, which I don't know if you'd really call that ruining a day. But anyway, the next story happened in 2011. There's a man whose wife had told him she was one of the separation, and he didn't like that. He was getting kind of angry, kind of upset. So what he decided to do was he'd drive to where she worked, her car is parked, I think, on the street or in the parking lot there. And what he did was he filled her gas tank with water so that when she started driving away, she got about a mile and the whole car went bye-bye. And he thought this was a pretty clever thing until he found out when he got arrested that it was a felony damage to property claim and that he could be facing up to three and a half years in prison or a $10,000 fine, which then didn't seem like such a good idea. The interesting part of the article I read, which was on patch.com, was that they had put in the complaint that he had done $12,000 of damage to this 99 BMW, and then they listed the, the price or the value of the vehicle itself at $6,000. So lawyers, right? That's how we roll. Um, but in any case, why did I tell you these stories? Because these people did dumb things and had consequences. That's what they did. Boats only run on gas when you put it in the gas tank, and 99 BMWs don't run on water. But we sometimes are like this with our own actions. We may not be filling the cockpit of our fishing boat with gas, but we do equally absurd things when it comes to sin. And the world and the culture and the powerful and loud aspects of our society do too. We've been in the Psalms for a few weeks now, for those of you who've been with us, and the Psalms are 
really uh, quite incredible. We're planning on, we've gotten through Psalm 1, we finished that last week. We're planning on getting through the next four, two, we're going to start into two today, um, uh, the next four Psalms, so five Psalms in this series, uh, Lord willing. But one of the great things about God's word in general, and certainly it's the Psalms, is that God has revealed his word to us, and it doesn't matter that it was written so long ago, it is incredibly relevant to us today. Even though we're talking thousands of years, it is still truth, it is still relevant, we're still made in the image and likeness of God, we're still dealing with the effects of a sinful world, and all of that kind of thing, and this Psalm could have been written yesterday as much as thousands of years ago because it is completely effective and completely true and relevant. So let's, let's pray before we begin the scripture reading. Father, we ask that you would transform us through the reading and studying of your word, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, that we'd be drawn closer to you. God, we love you. You are our king. Help us to get into your word today and to know you more. In your name, amen. All right, Psalm 2. I'm gonna read the first four verses. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Let's walk through the scripture step by step a little bit here so we can have some understanding of the first part of Psalm 2. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot? It's a question, right? It's a question. And the question is kind of rhetorical. What the suggestion is that we're asking, why are these people doing such a foolish thing? Why would they do this? Why would they do something so dumb? And then we're told what they're doing. The nations and the peoples of the earth are raging and plotting. They're raging and plotting. The idea here of raging is like they're causing a ruckus, a commotion. And, and we see people get together and cause a commotion, a ruckus for all kinds of reasons. Some of them are good and some of them are evil. For instance, we together today got all together and caused a commotion to worship the Lord. And there are people all over the world today that will get together and cause a ruckus and commotion to worship the Lord and to study his word, and that's good. There are other people who will gather for other reasons, whether it's in person or online, in this world, and they will gather together to rage against Jesus, to rage against God, to cause a commotion, to plot. They'll say hateful things towards Christ's body, his church. They'll rally against the Bible and the law of God. They will plot. Now, the same word we see for plot here in this verse is the same Hebrew word that we see used in the first psalm, if you were here when we went through that, in verse 2. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The word meditate here and the word plot in Psalm 2 are the same word. The same word, if you remember when we went over that, we said that it was kind of like muttering under your breath, thinking about it all the time. So we're meditating on the law of God, thinking about it, growing in God, thinking about what that looks like, thinking about his law, as were the peoples and the nations, the kings and the rulers, they're meditating, they're plotting, muttering under their breath, thinking about how to rebel against God. Well, we're thinking about how to serve him, they're thinking about how to rebel against him, but it's the same kind of attention and focus that's being put on it. We as Christ followers, we meditate on the law. The nations and people here meditate against it, against God, against his anointed Jesus Christ. And God says that what they plot, what they meditate on, what they plot is a vain thing. 
It's empty. It's nothing. It won't help them. There's a scripture that uses the same word for vain in the Hebrew here in another, in the Hebrew here in another scripture in Leviticus. It says this, Leviticus 26, 16. I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. What's vain? Nothingness, uselessness. You've sowed the seed to eat the food, and you don't end up eating it. Your enemies ended up eating it. That was vain in you planting that seed. You've sown it in vain. You've got nothing for it. We have a picture here of the nations and the people raging and plotting a vain thing, worthless thing, nothing. And next we have the kings of the earth and the rulers taking a stand against God, setting a plan and taking counsel together. Now, for a few seasons, my wife Tiffany and I watched a show called Survivor as we love intellectual television, thoughtful <laughs> stuff. And in Survivor, they're playing this game. There's all these contestants and they're, you know, trying to, I don't know, find something to eat, basically, is what a lot of it is. But they're trying to win this contest and win a million dollars. So what they would do is different contestants would get together and they'd form these alliances. If you've ever seen the first season of The Office, there's a really funny one about these alliances. But anyway, they form these alliances. And they get together and they take a stand against the other players that were playing to try to win so that those other people couldn't win. They take their stand and they would plot against the other team. This is the same thing the devil has done since the fall. And what we humans have done since the fall and in the fall. Now, what is all the plotting and standing against the Lord about? Listen to this. Saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. That's what they're plotting. That's their alliance. Their alliance, their plan, their plotting is to break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. They see the law, the scripture. They see it as cords and bonds. They see it as something that is stopping them from what they want. The same thing that the blessed person is meditating on and thinking about, they see as chains and handcuffs keeping them from what they want. Genesis 3, 4 through 6, listen to this. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to take on wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She, the lie was, God's holding you down. He doesn't want you to know these things, but you can be like God. And they bought into it. They saw God's rule instead of being loving for them as a chain keeping them from what they wanted. And Adam and Eve sinned. They took of the fruit. They broke in their minds the bonds and they found out very quickly that they did not become God. But in fact, we're Sin broke the world since then, and all of us have been cursed in the flesh by the same desire to break the bonds of God's law, to tear off the handcuffs, to do what we want, because we think we know better. But what the nations and the people and the kings and the rulers do not see and will not believe is that the bonds of God are not chains to keep us from pleasure. They are bonds of love to keep us in joy. God's love is there for us to thrive, not to harm us. Listen to Hosea 11, 1 through 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And they called them, so they went to, from them. 
They sacrificed the bales and burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. This is the picture of God. He's our father, loving us, taking us by the hands and teaching us how to walk. But instead of seeing that as a loving act, we see it as bondage. He's not keeping us down. He's showing us the way to thrive. His cords were bands of love, not chains of oppression and pain. When we feed the lust of the flesh, the flesh becomes strong. That's pretty easy to figure out. We're slaves to sin when we do that. We feed the spirit when we're in Christ. We're not slaves to sin, but slaves to God and righteousness. You read Romans 6, it'll work that concept out for you. The idea is that we don't want to be slaves to sin, we, we, but we do want to be slaves to Christ because if we're slaves to Christ, that means he owns us and we're owned by the one who loves us and who doesn't want us as a slave, as you would think of that, but as his bride. The church of Christ is his bride. We are slaves to the one, the one who owns us is the one who loves us, who wants to be our father, who is our father. His bonds are bands of love. He wants to make us fully who we were created to be because we don't know the way. We just don't know the way. We don't know the good path. We don't know the narrow path without Jesus, without the scriptures. While the world is getting all worked up about what they see as handcuffs and they're raging and they're plotting because they see it as keeping them from the pleasure they want, God is constantly showing us that his law is bands of love. God is protecting us on every side. We're in love with Jesus, both because he saved us from our sin, but also because he's showing us the good path and protecting us from evil as we go forward. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why do they comfort? They comfort both because he's going to take out the lion, the bear, and the wolf that wants to get us, but also because when we start to go off to the side, he's going to give us a little shove back in. The rod and the staff are a comfort to us because I want to believe that God loves me enough to keep me from going off the path, to give me a smack with that rod when I go the wrong way, to keep me in the line of where he knows I need to go. That's my God. The Christ follower must learn that God's law is not something to fight, but something to love, something to give comfort. Lots of us have raised children when they're babies, we put them in car seats, or we do now. When I was a kid, they just threw us in the back of the station wagon. For those of you who are my age or older, you probably remember that. But now they put them in car seats. And some good kids are, are, some little babies are good little Christians, and they just sit there in the car seat, and they're just, whatever, right? They're good. But not all kids. Not all kids just chill in the car seat. Some of them do that thing where they push against the car seat, and they're, and they're trying to get out of it. They rage and they plot <laughs> to break the bonds to do what they want to do because they don't see that car seat as bands of love. They see it as chains keeping them from doing what they want to do. After all, they know better. They're adults for goodness sakes, right? So they cause a ruckus, right? Same thing with cribs and playpens. If you've had kids in cribs and playpens, what do your kids do? As soon as they can kind of stand up like this and get that leg up. 
right? As soon as they can do that, you know what they do because you're sitting there chilling, put the baby away for the night, watching some Survivor, right? And suddenly you hear in the other room, it's just kind of like, you hear this little, and you know, boom. And I don't know about you, but as a parent, every time I heard a sound like that, I would think the same thing. God, please let Tiffany take care of this so I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to get up from where I'm sitting. Right? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, right? You think, oh my gosh, my kid just hit the floor. It's falling out of her crib. You rush over there and you pick up, crying because of course you hit the floor, right? You think, oh, it's okay, honey. It's okay. And then you explain because they understand. Listen, this crib is here to protect you. This is, this, it's important that you stay in the crib while you sleep because it, it's dangerous for you to be out of it. It'll protect you. That's why it hurt and whatever. And you put your child back down and they start to look like they're going to sleep. Maybe you try to do that little burrito thing that keeps them like this and you try. They figured that nonsense out early. I used to be pretty good at it until they got strong. Anyway, so you put it back down and you think, all right, I'm going to go back. I'm going to sit, turn the survivor back on and watch what alliances they're making tonight. And you start to think to yourself, you know, I bet my baby girl just learned a really hard but valuable lesson. And she'll probably never, ever do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> Boom. And it happens again. Because they don't learn, because they don't believe you, because they still think that what's really going on is every time you put them in what they see as a little cage, you're going out of the room and having candy and party, watching Veggie Tales, right? <laughs> which to be fair, we were doing that, but she needed to sleep. Um, no, they think, it, they think it's a cage. Bonds, chains, keeping them down. They don't see it as an act of love, which is what it is. And occasionally an act of laziness so that I don't have to chase them around. But normally it's an act of love, right? Because a baby left to their own devices outside of that crib and I'm asleep is gonna go find a fork and stick it in the, in the socket, right? Because why not? What's that? They're going to take everything they can find and put it in their mouth because that's what babies do. That's dangerous. You're keeping them from danger. It's an act of love to put that crib there or that playpen. But she thinks it's a bond keeping her from pleasure because they do not believe when we tell them that we know what's best. I'll give you one more clear example. My sister and I, when we were little, we, we behaved in public pretty well because we knew what it meant when my mom would say, just wait until your dad gets home. <laughs> and so we, we were pretty well behaved. Now, my brother, better known to y'all as Pastor Daniel, who was up here on the keyboard earlier, was not as thoughtful as my sister and I were when we were in public. Not even close, okay? Uh, first of all, pretty much Pastor Daniel never got in trouble because he was the baby of the family. He's so cute. And I don't have any problem with that. I'm fine. Middle child, that's me. Anyway, he was uh, extremely absent-minded. If he saw something he was interested in, pff, off he went. God forbid a butterfly would fly around, but we're outside doing something because he's just, and he's gone. Cars whizzing by, butterfly, right? This just, that's the way he was, <sighs> absent-minded. So, you ever seen the movie Up? That dog who's like talking, talking like squirrel. Pastor Daniel. And a little bit of Hunter Croft, I've noticed too. But anyway, the solution my mother came up with 
to prevent this problem, to deal with this problem, was the PlaySchool Tommy Tippy Handholder Child Leash Rainbow with white cord and Velcro, Velcro closure. That's right. We put Pastor Daniel on a leash. We would walk around the mall, and my sister and I, like good little Christians, would stay right next to my mom. And Daniel had what basically looked like a telephone, those old telephone cords, one on his wrist, one on my mom's wrist, and he'd walk around just all that, you know, come. That was him. Because he's just, you know, Pastor Daniel. <laughs> and he wouldn't be here with us today if he had not had that because he would have wandered off who knows where, right? Or eaten something he shouldn't have eaten or whatever. That's just the way he was. So it was actually protecting him. It was bands of love. Now, obviously, my mom eventually stopped using the leash, not by her own choice. The principal of the high school said that was enough. <laughs> it's really weird during dating for him. Anyway, <laughs> I don't really remember whether he didn't like it or not. I don't remember well, well enough to know that. But my guess is he didn't see it as bands of love. My guess is he saw it as chains, right? The world sees the law of God as bonds and cords because we convince, understand that, that we're going to be fine. That's what we think. The prodigal son, he took the wide path because he thought he knew better than his father, right? He could have stayed there. The prodigal son could have stayed at home with his dad and what would have happened? Well, his dad was obviously a good steward of money because he had some wealth. And so he could have learned how to be a good steward of money. He could have learned wisdom and knowledge and been safe and protected and in his father's home, but he knew better. Just give him my inheritance. I know what to do with it. So he does. And how do I know that he thought he knew better than being in his father's home? Because when he got his inheritance, he went off to a far country. Off I go. I know what's up. I know how to do it. He saw his father's house as bonds and cords instead of bands of love. And off he went. Wasted all of his money in a faraway country, living prodigally. Spent all his money in vain. Wasted it all. Had nothing to show for it. Planted seeds that his enemies ate the fruit. And he was starving and dying and feeding pigs. According to Luke 15, 16, it says, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, I've been very hungry before. Also, I've seen pigs get slopped. The two of those things have never come together to deal with one with the other, okay? Gross. This little Jewish boy feeding the pigs and wishing he could eat what they had and no one's helping him because he knew better than his dad. Why did he make such a foolish choice? Well, he thought he knew better. He saw his father's houses, bonds and cords. But he realized eventually that it was bands of love because he came back. And of course, you know the story. His father accepted him, welcomed him. And he was once again in the bands of love of his father's house, which is where we want to be in our father's house. This is the story of our sin. We can say what we want about believing that God's law is right and good, but we often think we know better. And how do I know that? By our actions in our lives. We often think we can figure it out. We often think that God's law is bonds and cords 
And instead of meditating on his law, on the scripture day and night, we start meditating or plotting how we can break the bonds and cords. Maybe just a little bit off. Maybe some of this was not really supposed to be followed exactly. Maybe I can just have a few more. Maybe I can just take this one thing after all my boss is pretty wealthy. Maybe, maybe, maybe plotting, planning, not seeing this as bands of love, but keeping us from what we want. And off we go. Now the world, they do this, but lost people act like lost people. What else would they act like? But sometimes we need to reset our own minds and hearts because we listen to the world. We know what they're doing. We've been told here, they're plotting and raging and planning and taking their stand against God and seeing all those laws breaking their bonds. So we know where they're at. And yet, even believers are oftentimes listening to what the world says about how they should live. How do I know that? Well, I'll tell you. According to a 2015 Barna poll, 76% of practicing Christians either completely or somewhat agree with the statement, the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. And 72% of practicing Christians either completely or somewhat agreed with the statement, to be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. Let me tell you something. These are lies that practicing Christians say they somewhat or completely agree with. Of course, the world believes that. But Christians should not be buying into these lies. The best way to find yourself, if you don't know, is to go to the one who created you. The best way to find yourself is to find yourself in Jesus Christ, not looking inside yourself. I know what's inside myself. That's why I need Jesus. I already know what's there. Look inside myself to find myself? No. I want to be found in Christ. That's the truth. The world wants to say the other thing. Just look inside yourself. Well, it looks pretty bad in there. No, it's not. Just forgive yourself. Just tell yourself that you're good and you're powerful. That's the world. That's Satan in the garden. To be fulfilled in life, you don't pursue your strongest desires. Your desires are broken all the time. You pursue what God says you should desire. You desire to have your desires transformed. Transformed by Jesus. Listen to this, Romans 12, one through two. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The reasonable service for someone who has had Jesus, God, die for them and rise again. The reasonable service is that you present your body a living sacrifice. That does not sound like pursuing your own desires. It sounds like we're presenting our body and our broken worldly lusts as a living sacrifice to Jesus. And it goes on, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good. And we allow God to transform us through the power of his Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Our desires change so that our deepest desires are no longer the natural things that they'd be if we looked inside ourselves, but they're the things that are God's will as we look to him. Show me what my desire should be that I might grow and know you and know me. That's who we're supposed to be. And then we'll show the acceptable and perfect and good will of God to the world. 
We're not looking to break bonds of pain and oppression. We're looking to know and love the bands of love. That's what we're doing. We want God to show us even when we can't see, especially when we can't see. And so much that we don't understand a baby when it's a baby doesn't know that a stove is hot when it reaches its hand up there. Who has to tell it? We do. Don't touch. It's saying, why? There's probably candy up there. This is the way we think, right? <laughs> this person's telling me not to touch it. He's probably trying to keep candy from me, even at this young little age, right? But we have to tell them because they can't see. And there's so many things that we can't see. We don't understand what the consequences are going to be. And so in love, God's showing us because we are, in fact, like the little child. Some of you have, have grabbed, they grab your little fingers and you're helping them walk. That's who we are. That's who we want to be in Christ. To, if we want to see the kingdom, we must become like a little child, trusting God that much, believing that the things that he's doing for us and telling us and commanding us are for our good, not trying to keep us from pleasure, but showing us how to live in joy. When we believe what he says and do his commands, we're free. When we don't, we're in bondage. He's told us the truth. Why would we want to walk in the ways of the world who plot and plan and take their stand against God and walk in darkness? Listen to what Jesus says. John 8, 31 32. Then Jesus, if you abide in my word, in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you abide in the word, the law, meditate on it day and night, then you're his disciple. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free, not oppressed, not in bondage. He's not trying to harm you. He wants you to be free, fully who you are. We're free when we abide in the word. We're free when we meditate in the day and night. We're sad and ridiculous like a child trying to get out of a car seat because they know better what happens in an auto accident than us when we don't do that, when we try to break the loving bands of our Father. And what's God's reaction to the world when they plot and mutter and plan and take their stand against him? Is he worried? No, listen. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He laughs at them. He laughs at them. He holds them in derision. Why? Because it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. They have as much chance taking on God and cutting the bonds of his love and his law as an infant has of ripping apart the seatbelt on that car seat or taking on their dad. Hunter has a little daughter. I don't know how many of you. I finally got to see her. So if she is real, it's like three months. But I'm pretty sure I could take her, right, in a fight. Like, she doesn't have a lot of, a lot of chance, that's how ridiculous we are when we take our stand against God. We can't even stand without him. And we want to take our stand against him and try to break the loving bands of our Father God. It's not happening. God is king. You cannot win a fight against him. But you can be his child and love him because he loves you so much that he died for you. That can be your reality. The time I remember my parents laughing... The, the one I remember the most is, was my mom. And uh, it wasn't because I was trying to break the bands of love or anything like that. Uh, she was giving me a haircut. And 
because at the time, you know, my dad was a pastor, so he was balling hard. That means makes a lot of money. He wasn't. He didn't make a lot of money. He was a pastor. So apparently we wanted free haircuts. So my mom got those Fiskars, those orange handles. I mean, super sharp. Like you can split a hair on them, like super sharp scissors, which I guess are good for cutting hair. I'm sitting there and she's la, 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 la. She's high on something. I don't know what's going on with her, but she's not paying very much attention. Okay, she says she was, but you'll hear the rest of the story. So she's cutting and she's cutting around my ears. Now, if you're going to cut around these bad boys, you better pay attention, okay? There's some stuff going on there. And she's cutting, la, 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 and she just snips the top of my ear right off. Just, <laughs> off they go, on the floor, blood. <laughs> As I'm fading from this world, in shock and passing out, I hear very distinctly my mom heartily laughing. <laughs> she's just laughing. She's just completely cut the top of my ear off and she's, <laughs> I'm glad she could forgive herself so easily and that she had such a good time with that. So if you're wondering why I am the way I am, that's what happened. I'm not sure why I told you that. No, I remember. I don't, I know that if I hear my parents laugh, something good hasn't happened. That's the lesson, okay? Um, I don't want my God, my father, laughing at me and holding me in derision because I think I know more than him. I don't want that for myself. Here's the thing. The world, the rulers, the kings, the people, the nations, they're going to continue to do this. They're going to continue to do this plot and plan and devise against God until Jesus Christ comes back and sets all things right. But when he does, he's coming with judgment. That's not the side we want to be on. We want to be right with him now, not wait until then. And we're going to see, Lord willing, if we get through the rest of Psalm 2, we're going to get to see what that, what that looks like. Jesus as judge as king. He already is, and he will come and exercise that power and that judgment when he makes things right. But what we need to learn from this today and think about is every time we're tempted to sin, to break God's law, and we all walk through that in this fallen world with these fallen bodies. We got to make our bodies a living sacrifice. We got to beat them into submission. We got to sow to the spirit, not to the flesh. That's the life that we have. But every time when we have to do that, it helps a lot if you think about the thing that you want to do that's a little shady, that you know is not part of God's law. If you think about it as God's law is not trying to hurt me. It's trying to help me. It may feel like I'm on the little thing, the wrist leash Daniel thing, Daniel leash. Just think about the Daniel leash, okay? As often as you think about this, just... It may feel like that, like God set you in a crib or whatever, but if you recognize that he knows a lot more than you do, you can start to see those things as bands of love, and instead of fighting against them and plotting against them, you can love his law and think, this is good for me. I want to be transformed to love this and to want to do this the way that God has called me to do it. We need to think about that every time. We are not breaking cords of a tyrant when we sin. We're not. We're fighting against bands of love of our Father who loves us. We meditate on his law day and night because it's love and it's truth and it's hope. We fight against that and meditate against that when we want to act foolishly. 
and it always ends up in the same place, feeding the pigs and wishing you could eat what they had. Vanity, tossing away that which is good for that which is nothing. Let's be in our Father's house. Let's stay in the bands of his love. If you've confessed your sins, he's been faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you'll call him Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Clean, pure, because he died for you and rose again on the third day, proving that Jesus Christ is God and that he's defeated hell and death and sin and all of that. And you don't have to be in bondage to any kind of sin or anything else. Instead, you can be in the bands of love. None of us have to be on that wide path that leads to death. All of us can live in the bands of love of God. So let's remember that. Every day, this week, every day for the rest of our lives, every time that we're tempted, let's remember that God's law, the commands that he's asked us to follow, they're bands of love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your law. We thank you for the scripture. God, you're so good to us. And so often, instead of seeing your goodness, we think there's candy behind that other door. God, help us to see the joy and hope and peace and love and relationship and thriving come from following your law, which is not meant to harm us. You're telling us the way to go that we might show that your will is good. Lord, forgive my broken, wicked heart for the times when I think that I know better than you. I don't want to be among those who are being laughed at and held in derision. I want to be among your children who happily accept your love. Those loving bands are the arms of an embrace. They're the hands holding our hands to help us walk. Lord, you are good. You've healed us. If there's anybody in here today, Lord, that needs to know you for the first time, I pray that you would move in their heart with your Holy Spirit to draw them to yourself today. Lord, we pray for Felicia who couldn't be here. We pray that whatever happened with that accident, that she's okay. We pray for those who can't be here who are watching online. We pray for those struggling financially with sickness, with disease, deaths in the family, problems in the marriages, family issues, family members and friends that are far from you, Lord. We pray for all of them this morning. We pray for those who will be suffering in the heat today, who don't have air conditioning. We pray for all of those things, Lord. But Lord, we pray that you would bring many to know you that we might see many come to know you, to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that we might teach them to obey all that you've commanded because it is the bands of love. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. I'm gonna ask a couple of the elders, deacons, staff, whoever, to head out into the lobby there. If you need prayer this morning, if you wanna know Jesus for the first time, you also can write that on that orange card and put it in the in the bowl back there. But if you need prayer for anything, while we're singing, just go back there and say, I need prayer. Or I need, I want to know Jesus. I want to know what it looks like to follow him. I want to know more about what it looks like to walk in the bands of love because I've been fighting against these bonds for too long. Whatever you need, you go out there and get prayer. I love you all. Let's sing together and worship the Lord. You can stand and let's have a wonderful week. 
Thanks again for listening. We hope the Lord blessed you through it. We'd like to invite you to join us on one of our Sunday morning services at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Whether you would just like to find out some more info about Axe Church, or if you'd like to plug in and take some next steps in your faith, axechurchnw.org is a great place to start. You can also email us at info at There's always more content coming, whether it's on YouTube or on our podcast channel. So be sure to subscribe to both of those to always get the newest content from Axe Church. Until next time, we hope you have a blessed week.